Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture here at Midweek. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day on this National Hot Dog Day. Enjoy a hot dog or two today. What do you have on it? Now, I I enjoy mustard and ketchup on my hot dog. Now, Janet Riley, president of the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, gives me a hard time she says you shouldn't have ketchup on a hot dog, but I, I like mustard and ketchup on my hot dog. How about you? Well, on this National Hot Dog Day, what are we going to be talking about? We're going to talk about the need to get broadband all across rural America. We've got a lot of places it's still not accessible, not good service, or not any at all. We're going to talk about it with Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. We're going to talk markets with Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services. How do you market during a weather market like this and this unusual year that we're having in 2019 and robert white with the renewable fuels association will join us what are we seeing now that e15 is allowed to be sold nationwide year round are we seeing more uh, fueling stations offer e15 or not or is that going to take more time before uh, retailers get on board with that what are we seeing so far this summer and some new research looking at uh, the benefits of using ethanol when it comes to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So that's coming up as well. But right now we're going to start it off with a wheat harvest from Kansas as we talk with the CEO of the Kansas Wheat Growers, Justin Gilpin. Justin, thanks for joining us. What do you like on your hot dog? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm like you. I'm a ketchup and mustard guy. But, uh, you know, I do consider a hot dog a sandwich, and sandwiches that use bread and uh, wheat flour is it's a, that is a good day to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, you're looking at it from that meat, uh, from that uh, the wheat part of the bun, right? That's what you're looking at there. It's all about demand and wheat consumption, and uh, I certainly do a good, do enjoy a good hot dog, Mike. Well, I'm glad you like uh, ketchup as well on those uh, hot dogs. All right, well, bring us up to date. Uh, where are you at in wheat harvest in Kansas? Well, we're certainly on the back back side of things. Uh, you know, USDA NAS had had. Kansas at 81% complete. Uh, we've had good good weather, uh, good harvest evenings. The combine's been running late into the night, and, and so we're just now getting into that northwest corner of the state, but just that tail end of, of harvest, still running into some really good wheat, uh, but things will be wrapping up here within uh, a week or 10 days. Well, let's talk about some of the numbers. What are you hearing on yields? What about test weights, things like that? Well, all the things that you've been talking about and hearing about, we're continuing to see as we've gotten into that northwest corner, gotten into eastern Colorado, and, and just starting to dip into the uh, western Nebraska. Uh, yields have been been really good. Uh, you, there are there are pockets where there's been challenges because of uh, hailstorms or or uh, some some fields that that didn't weather the the storms that we had in the in the springtime, but. For the most part, what we're getting into is uh, yields that are uh, really, really pretty good. We're having reports of uh, 60 to 70 to 80 bushel yields, and and on some instances, uh, 100 bushel yields, which is, uh, for some farmers out there, that's that's certainly going to be almost once-in-a-lifetime type crops for them. Test weights? Test weights have been uh, probably, when you talk about quality of this crop, uh, proteins, as uh, you and I have talked about before, with these higher yields, yields and protein are going to be inversely proportional. So with these higher yields, we are having a lower lower protein crop. But certainly a, a highlight with this crop is, uh, is, is the test weights. You know, we're having really good 62 to 64-pound test weights pretty consistently uh, coming in with these higher yields. And that's really a function of how this crop finished out. Uh, you know, one of the themes was this crop was a later crop. Uh, because of the cool, uh, wet weather that we had had uh, through May and then into June, and the so crop had been about two weeks late. But what we're seeing is uh, this crop having that later period. We, what we needed was that cool, wet weather, and that's what we got for this filling period. And those kernels are really showing it with those kernel characteristics, showing that good test weight. You know, from an agronomic standpoint, Mike, when you think about the Southern Plains hard red winter wheat crop, one difference that is versus the, the northern crops is that the Kansas wheat crop 
it typically doesn't mature. It ends up dying. Uh, it, it dies because of heat and, or uh, high temperatures that really shut down the winter wheat crop, and then that, that's when it gets harvested. One reason why we're seeing such high yields this year, and you're hearing about green stems and, and waiting to, for the wheat to dry down, is because we didn't we had a crop that actually was able to mature out and really reach its genetic yield potential, and that's why we were seeing such good yields and good kernel characteristics in that western part of Kansas and eastern Colorado. Not too much disease uh, that you found so far. You know, we've been uh, uh, been pretty fortunate from that standpoint, Mike. Uh, disease, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing uh, seeing good yields is we didn't have a lot of disease pressure. Uh, this crop, for the most part, has been pretty clean. If you had uh, one comment, uh, you know, other than the lower protein that we're seeing on the winter wheat crop, uh, we are seeing maybe a little bit higher dockage. And that might, um, and, and looking at that, that might be a function of how the, and talking about what we did earlier, how the crop didn't, uh, it, it, it didn't die off, it matured out, and so it took a little bit longer for it to dry down, so it maybe isn't thrashing as, as clean as uh, some farmers would like. So it's really not weed pressure that's causing a little bit higher dockage, it's just being a little bit harder to thrash uh, crop to get into the bin. So we are seeing just a slightly little bit higher dockage, but for the most part we're seeing good test weights, a little bit lower protein, but early on testing the protein quality looks to be pretty sufficient. And so uh, I think from a marketing standpoint, uh, we're going to have a, have, a, have a good crop to, to market and communicate to our export customers. And finding those markets and uh, keep developing those markets, that's key. Yes, sir. That is uh, absolutely true. And, you know, we have had really strong hard red winter wheat exports uh, to start the marketing year. When you think about wheat's marketing year starts on June 1, hard red winter wheat sport, uh, exports actually are off to a, a very fast pace, one of the fastest paces that we've had from uh, in the last 10 years. Part of that is a function of the carryover from last marketing year where we had Russia, uh, the Russian crop with the drought, and, and so their crop hasn't quite hit the market yet. Uh, Australia's a drought, and so uh, we're still seeing a function of that demand that hard red winter wheat is, is uh, coming in and filling that space. Now, we are anticipating to see some global competition uh, here in the coming months, but up to this point, uh, you know, hard-earned winter wheat exports have been at a at a really good pace, and, that, and that's good to see. With uh, especially with Mexico being being our leading customer and being a consistent buyer on a weekly basis. All right, Justin. Thanks for the report. Glad things have been going well for the most part for the wheat harvest there in Kansas. And now on this National Hot Dog Day, if we just all go out and uh, have some hot dogs with all wheat buns, that'll that'll really help, right? Well, I hope you and your listeners enjoy a good hot dog and a hot dog fun today, Mike, and sure appreciate all you do for agriculture and appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Justin. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat Growers. Up next, the need, the challenge of getting broadband available to people across rural America. We're going to talk about it with the president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. Blake Hurst joins us next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we have talked before about the potential benefits of gene editing and livestock production, but there is a, a battle going on about oversight of that technology. Should it be with FDA where it's at, or should it be moved to USDA, like many in the livestock industry, like the National Pork Producers Council would like to see? Let's talk about it with Dr. Dan Kovich, who is Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us again. Why do you feel it's best to have the oversight with USDA? What we're concerned about is what is actually getting approved. Is it the edit, 
or this altered genome, and how does that affect how the descendants of these animals are going to be regulated on farms and ranches. That's where we feel that that post-approval piece, that the USDA has the expertise, and more importantly, the existing authority, to regulate the descendants of gene-edited animals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it, or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. Head to toe, everything's changed. Head to toe. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back as we uh, celebrate National Hot Dog Day. The question of the day, what do you put on your hot dogs? I've mentioned that I like mustard and ketchup, relish too, for that matter. But some people are very much opposed, I have found, to putting ketchup on hot dogs. Don't understand that. Let's talk about that and other things with Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. Blake, thanks for joining us. What do you put on your hot dogs? Uh, I'm afraid I'm with you, Mike. Ketchup, mustard, and relish. There we go. That's it. That's the combo right there. Enjoy those hot dogs today, folks. It's National Hot Dog Day. Well, Blake... uh, You recently testified before a committee in Congress about the need for broadband access in rural America. This is something, if you have it, you probably don't think about areas of the country not having it. But we're really challenged in parts of the country, aren't we, on this? Yeah, the statistics for the country are like 25% of rural residents don't have good access. Much higher here in Missouri, by the way. But... The problem is they say that a, they, they measure that by census block, uh, which, in, when, which in rural America can be several square miles. And if one person has uh, good broadband coverage in that census block, then, it, then that block is counted as served, even though everyone else in the census block who lives within a mile or two may not. And that's what you find when you talk to people. You can have people that are, uh, I've got good friends right outside of Columbia, Missouri, which is obviously a college town. and and tremendous uh, access to broadband within the city limits and a mile or two away. Uh, they have dial-up, literally still using dial-up, so it's wow. very uneven. Is this similar, I mean, if we go back years and years and years to getting uh, electricity to everyone in the country, is, is there some? are there some similarities here? Yeah, there are, and particularly the unevenness. And, the, and the, you know, my folks grew up... Um, are, are both uh, from from our small town, grew up about eight miles away. Literally 15 years difference uh, between when my mom had electricity and my dad. So it's just you know tremendous, uh, same story, tremendous variation depending on the local local neighborhood, the local uh, utility. Uh, you can just get some real uh, variation service people have. You know, not only is this important, just for basic needs anymore because so much of what we do is uh, on the on the internet but when we look at trying to grow rural america trying to help 
rural communities. I mean, we often talk about with technology, you could live anywhere and, and work in, in this global economy if, if you have uh, broadband access. That's a big gift, though. Oh, it's huge. And, uh, you know, we need it for precision ag on our farms. The kids need it to do their homework uh, and apply for scholarships or any another number of things that are done on online. Uh, obviously, all of us are familiar with folks that have to go to the McDonald's parking lot uh, to fill out a form or turn in their homework, and that's just unacceptable. And so uh, it was really a, an honor to get to talk about it in D.C. and hopefully uh, emphasize how important it is to real citizens. Why is it so difficult? With all of our technology today, what is holding us back in getting broadband to these areas? Well, uh, money, um, you know, it's it always comes down to uh, dollars and cents. It's expensive to um, to get fiber to isolated houses, uh, and really, uh, we, we 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 shouldn't settle for less than fiber. It's uh, uh, it's it's a state of the art, and uh, I think promises to be the state of art for quite a while. So so even if you think you can do it with your cell phone and 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 want uh, you know mobile broadband. You still have to have fiber from all those towers. You have to have lots of towers. You have to have fiber of the tower in order to move that uh, move that information down down the down the internet. So uh, just takes a lot of money. Uh, there has been money spent and money available. We've got a I think a twenty billion dollar reverse auction that the FCC is gonna gonna hold in the next few months. So so we're making progress, uh, but we've got to not only make sure that we spend that money where it's needed. Um, but make sure that the people who win those auctions do what they say they're going to do, because it's always a real concern uh, that they'll they'll get the government funding and then farmers, real citizens, won't see any results. We're talking with Blake Hurst, president of Missouri Farm Bureau. Blake, is Congress looking at this as part of an infrastructure package? Well, uh, I mean, I think the <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think the... Um, I think the optimism for our chances of getting infrastructure package through are, are, are not high, uh, but but it's still out there and it's definitely considered uh, both by by you know Farm Bureau and I think everybody that's involved in this area that infrastructure is just as much part of our in, or I mean excuse me broadband is just much part of our infrastructure needs as good roads and bridges. What was the reaction and response uh, when you testified? Uh, I mean. Are they are members of Congress in agreement with you on this, or did you feel that, uh, or, or did you come away with the feeling that uh, they're ready to do something on this? Uh, I think that this was a subcommittee of the House uh, Ag Committee, and uh, very, very supportive, very friendly. Um, you know, one of the interesting things we had real development people on the panel. We had uh, a neuro. A neurologist from Georgia who talked about telemedicine, and of course I was able to talk about farming. So, so I think they they get it, they understand it. Uh, it's just a question of finding the funding. Uh, what the chairman, as he uh, the subcommittee, as we finished up the uh, uh, finished up the hearing, said, "Well, we need a dollar figure. How much will it take?" Uh, and I I've seen estimates, and it's you know billions and billions of dollars. It will be a challenge, but we can do it, and uh, I think we need to. What areas of the country are lacking the most when it comes to broadband? Oh, I can say I think Missouri's behind. We do. I don't think, and you know, as I pointed out to the committee, I don't think mapping is adequate. And perhaps the place we ought to start is to get a better idea mm-hmm. of where broadband is good and where it's not. But it's very, very, um, you know, it varies across the country. It varies within states. It varies within counties. Uh, clearly, the more isolated the area, the more rough the terrain, uh, the less likely you are to have a good broadband. Here in Missouri, uh, you get into some of the more rugged country in southern Missouri is where you find people that um, don't. I was at a county meeting down on the Arkansas level uh, border a year ago and made some comment about the Internet or an email we'd sent out. And then I just said, wait a minute, how many of you have high-speed broadband? Probably 30 folks there. It was a Saturday afternoon. In the summer, about 30 folks and only two or three had high-speed broadband. So we've got pockets where it's a, there's almost no penetration at all. 
as I said earlier, for those that have it, you just take it for granted almost and can't imagine there are places in this country in 2019 that don't have it. No, and one of the things I think we, we, we tend to emphasize how important it is to business, how important it is for telemedicine, for kids doing homework, for precision ag. But we also, those of us who live in rural, rural America, should be part of the overall society. I mean, sort of an example that I, I, I used was, you know, Game of Thrones was a real cultural ph- phenomenon. Uh, whatever you thought of the show, it was people were talking about it. It was, it was something that many, many people across the country watched, got wrapped up in. Uh, so many of our neighbors don't even have access to the to the streaming, to the so much of where uh, media is occurring these days. Uh, our our friends and neighbors can't even be a part of that, and and I think that's important and shouldn't be shouldn't be overlooked uh, as we go through uh, go through improving rural broadband. Is part of the challenge what we see so often with rural America, just not enough numbers, not enough population to to really get some action on this? Sure. I mean, it costs, um, you know, $30,000, $40,000 a mile to lay, lay fiber. If there's 100 houses in that mile, it's clearly much less expensive for a consumer than if there's only one or two. So, so that's the challenge, uh, and we're going to need help of our neighbors in order to make it happen. But... Uh, we 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 accomplish that with rural electricity through through cooperatives, through loans, through grants. Um, the the path is clear. We just have to do it. And testimony like yours and others speaking out on it, starting to call attention to it, making people aware of it. That's a that's an important step in this. Absolutely, just keep talking about it. And I think it, you know, I think that the it's been elevated in the last year or two. I think there's more talking about it. We're seeing more news stories, more people talking about it. I mean, it's just been here in Missouri, the real electric cooperatives, uh, real telephone cooperatives have really uh, taken this up. Uh, varies, again, from, from cooperative to cooperative, depending on their their willingness to take some risks. But, but they are partners in this, and they are talking about it and elevating it, and that's what we have to have. We just have to keep Uh, pointing out how important it is to real citizens. All right, Blake Hurst, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you, Blake. You bet. Thank you. Take care. President of the Missouri Farm Bureau. Blake Hurst, yeah, needing some rain there in Missouri. All right, when we come back, we'll talk about that lack of rain in some key areas and talk markets with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, despite the, the E15 announcement uh, about a month ago, uh, we're really here at a, at a crossroads, it seems like. I'm going to talk about it with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Uh, it seems like the administration has been trying to walk down the middle and try to keep both sides happy, but we're coming to a point where they're going to have to make a decision one way or another which way they're going to go, aren't they? The simplest way to explain that, Mike, is we expect about 50 million gallons of new ethanol demand to result from the E15 year-round approval. That's the output of about one small ethanol plant uh, annually. On the other hand, the demand we've lost through small refiner exemptions is something greater than 2 billion gallons of ethanol. Two billion gallons is, is roughly equivalent to the output of about 20 large ethanol plants. So it's not a not a fair trade here uh, when we talk about E15 for small refiner exemption. Join us on Adams on Agriculture. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In Lean Hog Futures, we are trending higher on this Wednesday trading session. October and the back months have posted a strong showing the past few days. The same cannot be said for the August contract. We closed lower yesterday. There's been too much premium in the August contract relative to underlying cash values, according to the wire talk. However, on this Wednesday, an hour into the day, August lean hogs up 77 at 79.80. October up a dollar seven at 76.40. In live cattle futures, the August contract is down 50 at 107.72. Feeder cattle August down a dollar 30 at 139.75. 
cash cattle activity's been slow to begin on the week. We'll have a cattle on feed report coming out on Friday afternoon. Average trade guess for on feed as of July 1st, 1.8% higher than a year ago. And again, in live cattle, trending 50 to 85 cents lower. Feeder cattle, $1.35 to $1.65 lower. In the grain and oil seed sector, in corn futures, we are trending 2 to 3 cents higher. December contract up 3 at 4.44 and a quarter. Choppy action continues to unfold on the daily chart. In soybean futures, November down a half cent, 9.05 and a half. We gapped lower yesterday and closed lower. The short-term trend bias has turned down as the market is closed below the 20-day moving average. Gap resistance lies at 9.18 and a quarter. In the wheats, Chicago, September up two at 509 and a half. Kansas City, September down a penny at 445 and a quarter. Minneapolis, September up a penny and three quarters at 532. The Dow is down 29. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. <laughs> I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back on this National Hot Dog Day, asking our guests what do they like on their hot dogs. Our next guest is Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. Right, Rich, I'm in the camp of mustard, ketchup, and relish, all three. What do you want on your hot dogs? I'm just mustard only. Mustard only? You're you're one of those no ketchup guys? Wow, we're having trouble hearing you, uh, Rich. We've got a bad connection. i tell you what, uh, we're going to hang up and try to reconnect with you, okay? So uh, we'll see if we can get okay. a better sure. signal, okay? So we'll try that again. Okay. And uh, Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services, we'll hope to get a better signal from him. But I believe he said he's one of those no-ketchup people. I, I, I'm amazed at how strongly some people feel about this. Uh, as I've, uh, <laughs> I didn't even realize this was a, a question or a controversy growing up. But uh, in recent years, I've found out people feel very strongly about uh, that issue of what uh, to put on their hot dogs. But I, I like mustard and ketchup, and throw in some relish, some sauerkraut too, for that matter. All right, we'll reconnect with Rich here and um, and want to talk markets. We've got a situation now. Very hot, dry conditions over some key production areas. We've gone from wet and cool to hot and dry, and uh, concerns about what that may mean uh, for this crop that's been under so much pressure already here in 2019. I wanted to mention a couple things on trade, just kind of updates on what's going on. It looks like progress continues between the U.S. and Japan. We could see something perhaps maybe mid-September, they are saying now, that uh, could um, you know, be some at least a mini deal they're calling it could be an ag type deal, so that would be good for agriculture. Meanwhile, President Trump uh, is again threatening uh, the possibility of more tariffs on China, so we'll continue uh, to watch that situation. And on USMCA, our trade rep Robert Lighthizer met with House Speaker Pelosi and House Ways and Means Chair Richard Neal yesterday looking at uh, 
any progress or any negotiating changes that need to be made to uh, USMCA to clear a path for a House vote. And um, they are set to meet again today, we are told. Uh, the U.S. Trade Rep and the Democratic Working Group uh, on the trade will continue to talk about uh, issues such as labor, enforcement, drug pricing, and environmental provisions of USMCA. So that's kind of a trade update. All right. Uh, hopefully we have a better signal now with Rich Morrison with Diversified Services. Rich, you there? Yes, I am. Okay. It sounds a little better. All right. Very good. So even though you're a no-ketchup guy on hot dogs, uh, I'm going to trust you on the, on market stuff, okay? So let's get into that. All of a sudden, our attention has gone from cool and wet to hot and dry, hasn't it? Uh, it certainly has, and, and that's kind of what we all feared this spring, that uh, if we plant when the ground's wet, we were going to have to have rain throughout the growing season to keep the crop going, and we've hit that window here, it looks like, where we've got a lot of the corn uh, moving into the pollination phase. We're expecting some extreme heat over the next few days, and uh, some areas uh, may be missing out on some precipitation as well. You've been uh, on the road quite a bit. What are you seeing with this crop? A lot of variability. Uh, that's the thing that really stands out. Uh, you see some corn that uh, that looks good. You see some corn in the same field that looks uh, uh, either terrible or missing even. Uh, a lot of holes in the field. Uh, and even with the uh, the crop getting bigger, it's still not masking all of those holes. So uh, we, we know that the crop ratings usually seem to improve as the crop gets bigger and you can't see the problems as much. But uh, you can still notice a lot of them across the uh, uh, I, I've been basically from Omaha, Kansas City, Terre Haute, uh, Indiana, and across Illinois and Missouri over the last uh, week, and a lot of variability throughout that part of the world, uh, and a lot of really, really late soybeans. See a lot of soybeans that are barely ankle high, and uh, it's hard to uh, hard to imagine that those beans are going to get enough height to put a lot of pods on them this year. So, a lot of a lot of struggles taking place. Rich, I'm sure you get a lot of questions about uh, how to market in a in a year like this when you're really dealing now. We're into a weather market big time. How, how do you market through this? I, I really think this is the type of year that options were made for. Uh, you know, in some years that we've had recently, when we don't see as much variability, I'm not so sure I would spend the money on on buy, uh, paying for the premium for an option. But this is the type of year where if you can lock in a, a desired price. Uh, and yet with an option, still keep the upside open. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense as a way to go about marketing this year. And just your traditional minimum price type contract uh, makes the most sense to me, especially especially in a, uh, a market like corn right now where we've been looking at 440, 450 December futures. Uh, we can invest a little bit of money to keep the upside open in that market while still locking in a floor. I, I think that's a good way to go about this thing. You know, on this corn market, I'm sure there's. If you're in an area that you're fortunate enough to have a crop that you know looks pretty good for this year, you're thinking, well, this is my year. My yield may be down, but I may have enough to cash in on these higher prices. So that, you know, that's kind of maybe the strategy there. What do you have to be aware of there, though? I mean, obviously now we're concerned about the the hot, dry weather could hit some of those areas too, so and reduce the yield even more. But uh, there is that temptation to think I'm really going to hit it with the higher prices this year. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, it, you know, we're used to making our highs in the corn market in the summer months, and maybe this is going to be one of those years where we really don't determine the size of the crop until you get through harvest. I know I've uh, I was with a, another gentleman last Friday and uh, we were discussing that, you know, it might be after harvest before the market really uh, has a good idea, good, you know, good understanding of what was out there this year. So uh, we may have to have some uh, stick around, be able to stick around in the market for a while, I guess, using the December options uh, kind of allow you to do that. But uh, we've had some of those years back in the eighties, early nineties, some of these uh, short crop years seem to have a long tail. And so, uh, it may take a while before we really realize the size of the crop. So what are you thinking uh, we could see with this corn price, especially if uh, if we continue to have this very hot baking weather? I mean, we just we were just talking to the president of Missouri Farm Bureau, Blake Hurst. His final comments uh, were, send us some rain. I mean, uh, there's some need out there for some rain. Oh, there absolutely is. It's You know, you see some of these uh, – 
the the clay ground where the corn's rolling at mm-hmm. uh, at seven in the morning uh, here this week. So there there is a lot of that. Um, um, you know, I, I still it still goes back to the options market. Uh, I still think that uh, you know there's a good way to either buy a put to set a floor or, or sell corn by a call, whatever it is, is a way to a way to hang around in the market just in case uh, this thing does have the legs that it that it could have. The thing that's going to hold us back, uh, as what's been holding us back for a while now, has been the, the fund position that the, the managed money are still holding a fairly large long in the corn market. Uh, that uh, So in order to get them to spend more money, uh, we're going to have to really start to see the real, real signs uh, of damage. I've been uh, on record as saying I think we can trade a five in front of this December corn market, and, and I still think at some point in time we will. Uh, but uh, we're going to have to have some proof uh, that we're seeing some damage in order to get these people to jump back in this market. And on soybeans, Rich, even a reduced crop this year, I mean, we still there are still a lot of soybeans out there, right? There are. Uh, we're going to, you know, the government says we're going to carry over a billion bushels of beans into fall. Uh, I, I've done my math, and, and anything above a 45-bushel national yield still leaves us with a a huge carry out historically, our second biggest ever. Uh, I think you'd have to get the bean yield down into the low 40 bushel range in order to to really see a bullish scenario play out on soybeans. And, and maybe that'll happen before it's all said and done. Uh, uh, you know, August seems to be our bean month, so we're probably still a little bit early to, to get excited about the bean market. But, uh, uh, you know, you see a lot of crops that would get you uh, bullish, certainly, uh, at this point in time. But it's probably still just a bit early to get to get real, real fired up on the beans. And what about wheat? We heard earlier in the show today about uh, some big wheat yields in that harvest uh, out in Kansas. Uh, what do you see this wheat market doing? Yeah, the Kansas guys I was with the last couple of days were all uh, talking about big, big numbers. Of course, the acres were down this year, but... Uh, but they're making up for it with the size of the crop, it looks like. So I think wheat's just going to continue to follow the corn to some extent. Uh, wheat and, and the wheat-corn spread probably will continue to narrow a little bit. Corn should gain on wheat in order to try to uh, pump some more of that wheat into the feed markets uh, going forward. And that, that's kind of where I see the wheat, more of a trailing market, but uh, probably trading in the trend of what corn does. So, also looking at exports, uh, you see any bright spots there? I mean, it's a challenge, isn't it? Well, if you're if you're an optimist, you'd say the darkest before the dawn. Uh, it's, it's pretty pretty dark right now. It seems like, and even a market like corn or a crop like corn that that we don't have any, you know, we're not bound by any tariffs or anything like that. But the corn market's still struggling, so uh, we're struggling to find business, and I guess that's just lack of demand. Uh, and and or oversupply in the world at the pulp at the moment so that could change uh, with the size of the u.s crop certainly the u.s uh, is the the you know the number one producer of corn in the world so depending on the size of our crop uh, that that export uh, situation could change going forward yep still a lot of story to be written here in 2019 we'll see what uh, how it turns out rich thanks a lot always good to talk with you you too thanks mike try some ketchup on your hot dog okay just give it a try. <laughs> I will do that. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Rich Morrison, analyst with Diversified Services. Up next, Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations with the Renewable Fuels Association. Are we seeing more fueling stations at E15? And there's a new study out showing the benefits of ethanol use in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. We'll talk about it next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. 
texting whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it, but only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors, waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And joining us now, Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Robert, good to talk with you on this National Hot Dog Day. Okay, what do you put on your hot dog? I'm simple. I'm just a relish guy. 
Just relish. Just relish. See, I, I'm I'm mustard, ketchup, and relish. And I know some people just can't understand ketchup on there. So you you don't go mustard or ketchup. What's up with that? Well, I like to like to be easy, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I put relish on mine, it winds up all over me usually. But uh, I figured you were the loaded dog guy, you know. But you're you're going well, basic, I, very simple. Yeah, I do like them all. Uh, Chicago's a little over the top for me, but um, I I will take a hot dog however it's handed. There you go. Well, let's uh, let's talk some things here. Um, first of all, I want to mention a new study out showing the benefits of ethanol use in reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing when you uh, are allowed to include all the facts about ethanol. It always, you know, gravitates to the top. It's a very simple thing that if you use more ethanol, a biodegradable, renewable domestic product that helps lower greenhouse gas emissions, that the overall emissions from the fuel we consume is lower. And it's unfortunate that that is not always the outcome of studies, but usually you can track the money and, and find out why. But this latest study we just released this morning uh, clearly goes through the, the benefits of ethanol and in this case focuses on the emissions and shows the benefits of using more ethanol. And with all the focus now about climate change and what should we do, I mean, here we have a, a, a fuel and an industry domestically uh, uh, you know, that uh, could use more support and needs more help. Here, we've got it right here at home. They don't have to go looking for things. We've got one if they would just support it more. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really a clear and transparent enforcement of the renewable fuel standard. If we could just get that, then ethanol would continue to thrive as it has done in the past. And, and really, we need that from the administration and in particular uh, within the agency of EPA. I thought it was interesting. Earlier this week, we talked with uh, former North Dakota Senator Byron Dorgan, who was part of helping write the RFS. And when I asked him, I said, is this what you intended when you wrote the RFS, what's happening now? He says, no way. I mean, what EPA is doing is not what uh, they had in mind for the RFS. No, and it comes down to real, something real simple. The, the complaint is that RINs were too high before small refiner exemptions were you know, really granted at the threshold and at the quantity that we're seeing today. And what everyone tends to forget, the only reason why there is a value to RENs is because the oil companies are not following the law. All they have to do is follow the law as it was written in 05 and expanded in 07, and RENs have no value. And it's unfortunate that that has really been lost in the, in the rhetoric around small refiner exemptions, but that's really what it boils down to. We're talking with Robert White with the Renewable Fuels Association. All right, Robert, E15 available now. Um, well, it can be sold year-round now, nationwide. Are fueling stations adding E15 now? Well, we're starting to see really what this summer is going to be about is the allowance of those already existing retailers uh, continuing to sell E15 through the summer. We do have some of those that have now you know, ramped up plans to get more open quicker because of the final rulemaking. And, we, of course, we have others that, you know, we knew were in the balances starting to, to pull the trigger and, and make those plans. But this is not something that most of them can do overnight. They are part of plans of renovations or greenfield stations. It's just going to take some time to, to get that build out. But no doubt that the rulemaking, as far as ethanol is concerned and corn is concerned, is a very significant uh, hurdle we have overcome and will lead to some significant long-term volumes. And this isn't a surprise. We knew when the announcement came so late that it really didn't give uh, retailers uh, time to get it ready for this year. No, and, and of course, we all knew that lawsuits were coming to try and stop the rule from, from being legal. Uh, we actually anticipated a couple injunction tries, although we thought that threshold, that bar, was pretty high. And uh, we didn't see any injunctions filed, but we did, did see, obviously, a lawsuit. Uh, from the refiners, and we expect a couple others will either join or file their own before the deadline. Uh, but we, we think EPA went the right route with a substantially similar case that provides some good legal authority, and we think it's highly defendable in court. And so it's really up to the, the stations, and if they're major stations and major chains and they have a, 
you know, a very large legal department. They may want to see the outcome of those before they really uh, push forward. But as far as the mom and pops, it's really boils down to, you know, ability to get supply. So either through dilution of E85 at the retail fuel station or do their local terminals offer E15 for them to access like they do gasoline. And where do we stand with uh, retailers uh, offering E85? Well, E85 has is, is also a, a been a, a nice backstop for us as well. Uh, I just tweeted out yesterday we've opened 206 new E85 stations this year, and we were on day 197, I think it was yesterday. So um, granted, uh, we could always have more and we could do more, but the beauty of E85 in this particular case and this year is it's opening in areas that's never had it before. So it's not a 25- or 30-year-old fuel like most of us know it as this is a new fuel and people with flex fuel vehicles or in the the hot rod or off-road or tuner crowds looking for that high octane low cost fuel they're seeing it for the first time so it's a different ball game than what you and i used to go around promoting uh, in some of those summers it's it's really getting its first chance in a lot of these municipalities or major metropolitan areas all right, Robert, good to talk with you. Now, next time you're sitting there at that Royals game, uh, put some ketchup on that hot dog, okay? I'll give it a shot. Thanks, Mike. Okay, thanks, Robert. Robert White, Vice President, Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuels Association. Tomorrow, a closer look at this new proposal on the H-2A visa program and a look at the, the uh, ag labor shortage situation in this country. That's coming up tomorrow, plus much, much more. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash our stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit.